Hello and welcome to another episode of a Talking Ship with John Shipley. Uh, my guest this uh, this evening is artist Ray Frummy. Hello, I'm the Ray Frummy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for joining me. Um, I'm kind of branching out here. Uh, I've done a couple interviews with comedians before. I've done a couple. Uh, <laughs> you're in for a you're in for a treat. <laughs> no, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> hey, no, no, it's fine. I, I I do interviews with comedians mainly, but I've done a couple musical artists at this point, and I was like, man. I would really like to get Ray on my show because uh, I've seen some of your art and dude, I, I was really impressed. Um, actually, well, we, are, we actually, uh, I went out to dinner with you and my ex once and yeah. uh, I noticed that uh, there's a very uh, particular uh, theme to a lot of your artwork. Um, you have this love for Godzilla. <laughs> What gave that away? <laughs> oh yeah, no. Was, was it the profile picture? Was it the several uh, pieces of artwork? So, uh, what what is it that uh, got you interested in the King of Monsters? Um, oh boy, uh, it would have to have definitely started with uh, dinosaurs. Um, like uh, around, I think it was 1996, 1997, give or take, in that year. I was going through my major dinosaur phase because like anything dinosaurs from like like obviously with jurassic park in 1997 that's whenever the lost world came out i actually love that movie to death i don't get why people hate that movie honestly um i think it's just that people are comparing it to the original yeah news flash it's not going to be as good as the original mm. but uh but yeah like like dinosaurs were in full swing and the next year was obviously the the infamous 1998 film, which, you know, around that time I was starting to see clips of Godzilla and I'm like, whoa, Godzilla's like a dinosaur, but he's just gigantic. He's, you know, like, you know, Tyrannosaurus was the king of dinosaurs. That's literally what its name means. T king Tyrant Lizard or Tyrant, Tyrant Lizard King, sorry. And then you've got a monster that is Godzilla. Like he's <laughs> like, what's a king to a god? And um, and then somewhere in between there, I saw Dragonheart, and I was just like, okay, dragons are kind of like dinosaurs in a way. Uh, and then um, it, then it really kicked off when I found out about King Ghidorah or Ghidra, uh, depending on whatever name you want to call him, um, who is a literal three-headed dragon. So it's just like, oh, this is an easy transition. Um, and with Godzilla. I saw, like, I actually still have it. It's an old VHS called Hollywood Dinosaurs. Looks back on all the classic dinosaur movies, and, of course, it mentions Godzilla. And it showed clips of Godzilla versus Megalon, where he did he does the infamous tail slide drop kick. I saw that, and I'm like, I want more. <laughs> and Godzilla has stuck with me since. See, when you mentioned that uh, during our conversation over dinner... I was like, man, I would really love to nerd out and discuss Godzilla with him because I I grew up with Godzilla. I had the old NES game. Uh, I nice. had uh, one of my uh, gifts, uh, I think it was like a fifth grade, my godmother gave me the novelization of Godzilla 2000. And so I read that thing front and back. Um, but dude, I, I love Godzilla. And oh, nice. I was just super pumped to uh, to get a chance to to talk to you more about some of your artwork. Uh, how long have you been doing this? Uh, you know, creating um, professionally. 
um, uh, professionally, I would, I kind of use that term loosely. Uh, I've, no, I've been, yourself up. You're professional. Come yeah. On. yeah. And I reserve that term for like industry artists, uh, but I've been, but I guess technically it's a, it's a profession. So, um, I've, uh, I've been doing it since about 2010, 2010 is whenever I started doing conventions. Um, that was, uh, G Fest, uh, I forget which number that was, but I know it was G Fest in 2010, uh, which is a Godzilla themed convention. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just like it kicked off from there. It's like, I mean, not to brag, but I made a good chunk of money. Like, I brought in like <laughs> seven prints and I sold out like half of them. And I'm like, uh, and uh, I was just kind of laughing because I'm like, my dad would roll in his grave if he found out how much money I made this weekend. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and I'm just like, I've got to stick with it because I had such fun. People really liked my artwork. I enjoyed, I just enjoyed every minute of that weekend. And, um, uh, last year was my 10th year in a row at G Fest and best one yet. So it's, it's just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> you know, and I gotta say, you know, hats off to you because you are doing something that you love doing and not kind of bowing to convention, doing doing something with your life that you really enjoy, and that's that is inspirational in itself. Um, so uh, one thing that I want to bring up with you, uh, are you familiar with uh, the art uh, author uh, Brad Warner? Um, he it sounds uh, sounds a little familiar. Uh. So he is kind of an eclectic author. Uh, he's one of my favorites. Uh, I love a good, uh, like a good uh, autobiography kind of thing. And he is a, he's an author. He's a punk rock musician. But at the same time, he spent like part of his life over in Japan where he did, uh, he was in costumes for Ultraman uh, oh, really? doing some of the monsters. And I'm like, oh man. <laughs> I would love to bring this up and have Ray uh, kind of look into that because he just talks about the whole experience and, and his book, Hardcore Zen. Uh, oh, nice. Just about how like he was a Buddhist monk while, <laughs> while simultaneously, you know, being the monster of the week on these Ultraman, uh, you know, shows. Yeah. Um, Ultraman, like I do have some knowledge with Ultraman. Uh, I've been recently getting into it. Um, uh, well, I've been into it for a few years, but, uh, um, especially now that Mill Creek has been releasing all of their, like, long story short, Super Iron Productions was in a major lawsuit that they had with the rights over the original Ultraman. And uh, I think all of the series up to Ultraman 80, I think, like a lot of the old uh, Showa era Ultraman series were tied up in limbo because of this lawsuit, because it's like the... Um, a uh, very infamous name, uh, Sampote Sans, I believe it is. Um, like, he kept claiming, like, oh, yeah, like, Superaya signed over the rights and everything. Like, I helped make Ultraman and everything. Uh, and really, all he had the rights to were distribution rights, no creative rights, no ownership rights kind of thing, just distribution. And, uh, yeah, long story short, they finally won that lawsuit, and now they've been able to properly distribute the original Ultraman series so it's like um like uh, all of them are getting blu-ray releases some of them have never been released in the United States before like uh, return of have, Ultraman uh, do you have any kind of like favorites among the uh, ones that we've seen in the states like ones that have kind of like 
had like an Americanized release? Um, well, it's kind of limited. Um, I mean, because so far I've seen uh, uh, just the original Ultraman uh, Ultra Q, which was actually not an Ultra series, but it's kind of in that universe. I, I'm uh, not saying just strictly Ultraman. I'm talking like, you know, Ultraman, then you have like Power Rangers, the big oh, uh, Beetleborgs, like all that kind of uh, yeah. Americanized. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, my sister was really into Power Rangers at the time, and that was kind of in an era where I really did not like anything that she liked. So it, it's weird that I never got into Power Rangers as a kid because it's like you'd think I would have, but it's like, no, my sister liked it too much. It seems Power. like it'd be in your wheelhouse, but... Yeah, and, and, it, and in recent years, it's like I've been, I've been warming up to it because I'm like, man, I was missing out on stuff. <laughs> um well, if you haven't had a chance to see it yet, have you uh, have you witnessed uh, Big Bad Beetleborgs? <laughs> uh, I, that is the one that I do remember. I didn't remember watching it a lot, but I definitely remember the theme song. <laughs> Dude, it's got a catchy theme song, but it's like it's like the weirdest Sentai kind of group that I've ever yeah. seen. It's like, oh, hey, we go into a haunted house and we press uh, a uh, like an organ yeah, and summon like, like a you know a, a Vegas type Elvis that gives us powers. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember that. Uh, like, what, what was his name? Like Flabber or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. It was like Flabber. <laughs> yeah, it's just, a, it's Flabber! Oh, wait, wrong movie, wrong movie. <laughs> yeah, it's like you summon the, they summon the villains of the big bad Beetleborgs to fight them. But at the same time, they're just a bunch of kids hanging out with like movie monsters. It was, yeah, it was a great series. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it, it embra- it, it's one of those shows that kind of embraces the cheesy aspect of it. Uh, so um, I've seen a bit of your work. Uh, I know that you work, uh, you do a lot of prints, but you also uh, deal with like perler beads. Uh, what kind of media um, do you normally use? Um, normally, I would say I'm just an illustrator because I like drawing, painting. Um, like I originally just started just doing drawing, then kind of learned how to do ink work. Um, then I, uh, just kind of started doing Perler beads cause, uh, I really liked, cause I grew up with classic pixel art games and then like, that's what really started getting me into Perler beads. Cause I'm like, Oh, Hey, I could actually take a character sprite and just turn it into reality and everything. So there's something interesting about that. Um, and then I started doing painting and, um, so I, I guess if anything, multimedia artist, but. But yeah, like uh, the Perler Beads is something that I've been really getting into full swing of because, uh, 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 let me see if I actually have it up here. Yeah, show it up. Uh, this is this is a video, so people are going to see yeah. it. Yeah. Um, I do not have it on my desk here. Uh, I had ah. a, uh, it, it was, it's basically a dice block. Uh, well, I, I sort of have this one. This isn't it, but it's a, this one's made out of mini beads. I don't know if you can see it, but it's a dice block made out of perler beads. Like you can actually do 3d stuff with them. Uh, huh. uh, the one that I was given was just made out of the regular beads and it was orange and white. It's, it, it's probably up here under something. Just I think my them. favorite one of yours that I've seen is uh, you had like a version of Mothra. That yeah, uh, uh, that's what I was going to lead into. It's just the, uh, I'm like, okay, you could do stuff with, you could do 3D stuff. And then I'm like, okay, how can I apply that to Godzilla? Because I do like designing my own sprites. You just take some grid paper and just draw it out. And then you just play connect the dots with it. 
and with uh, the 3D stuff, it's just, you know, you gotta you just kind of link and log it, it interlocks, and it's it's kind of satisfying just to hear that little that little pop as it goes into place. It's just because it's because it, it's designed to do that, and I don't even know if Perly themselves knew about that, but they they have been getting in on that recently. But uh, uh, I, I don't know too much about their history, but it's with um, uh, doing the 3D stuff and everything. But yeah, it's just like I saw you could do 3D stuff with it, and then uh, I was just like, hey, I want to do design a Mothra and maybe eventually a Godzilla, and I designed a bunch of Mothras out of 3D beads. And it's just uh, it's just kind of crazy because it's like because there's so many different versions of Mothra and it's just like I want to I made this one it's like well now I kind of want to make this one because of the colors I want to make this one because uh, the original Mothra was my first kaiju film so of course I had to do that one um, of course and that, and uh, some people have asked me if I plan on doing the Mothra from uh, the 2019 Godzilla King of the Monsters and eventually maybe but i need i need some good references because it's like usually the toys that they've made are just so the details are so tiny on it and mm -hmm. the wing pattern is uh it's a, i wouldn't say it's overly complicated but it is a complex design and you just yeah well let me get into a very uh more serious question with you here putting godzilla against the Megazord of the Power Rangers, who would win? Um, that is probably one I'd say. Hmm, I want to say. A part of me kind of wants to say Godzilla always wins, like it, it, it wins in the sense that he will always manage to come back because Godzilla has never truly been defeated. Like he'll lose a battle but he won't lose the war. Like he, like he's just always going to adapt and come back stronger than ever before. He will always, he will. So if anything, it would just end in a draw. It would just kind of peter out to where the, like a mutual the, respect. They, they handshake. Yeah. That kind of, yeah. Like I would almost see like maybe a team up because it's like, uh, like, I don't know, like a, uh, Rita Repulsa would bring in like a big monster, to take down both or something and then Godzilla would mutually agree to team up with the Megazord. You know, I've seen them team up with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh god, I remember and, that. <laughs> and I was not a I was not fantasizing this team up, but I really want to see it now. <laughs> yeah. I want to see them team up with Godzilla to like maybe like uh, Lord Zed and King Ghidorah have like team join forces and the Power Rangers and Godzilla have to team up to take them down. I need yeah. that in my life. Because yeah, it's like King Ghidorah has actually been usually a pawn in some alien races uh, mean, uh, means of world domination. Um, uh, uh, like some people try to fantasize about like Ghidorah being his own entity, which he kind of was in the original movie. And obviously he wasn't Godzilla King of the Monsters. But more than it, more than anything, Ghidorah has always been some kind of pawn, and not—he's just pawn in Game of Life. <laughs> <laughs> he's like Mongo, yeah. So uh, King Gimongo <laughs> or something. I don't know. What's uh, your favorite iteration of uh, Godzilla? Like, what what is your favorite among those movies? Um, uh, my personal favorite Godzilla would have to be the 1989 version. I actually do have one right here. Um, it's just a little uh, diorama figure 
Um, but it's uh, whenever Godzilla first, it, I don't know if you can see on my webcam. Yeah, no, you're, but, you're good. But it's got the little title there, Godzilla versus Biolante. Um, but it's basically the scene where he walk, he's literally just walking out of a volcano and it's really badass because of all the explosions behind him. Um, but yeah, like that's my personal favorite. Um, I, I do have to say it is kind of a, it was a very jarring shift because I mentioned Godzilla versus Megalon earlier and you see like, Oh, Godzilla's all kind of heroic looking. He's all kind of cartoonish in a way. Very, uh, the movie's a very Hanna-Barbera-esque movie. <laughs> and, um, then I saw this movie and I'm like, whoa, Godzilla's scary. <laughs> like, like just going from like, you know, this very lighthearted Godzilla to this very antagonistic and very animalistic monster. It's just like, whoa. <laughs> um, and, I, and I've always loved the 89 version just for how menacing it looked. Uh, I, uh, so I recently uh, started watching a bunch of YouTube channels and one that I watched called Fact Fiend did a uh, did a video on Godzilla recently, where they talked about how uh, the original company was so upset with how America handled Godzilla in its theatrical release that they ended up killing off the Zilla version of Godzilla uh, in a subsequent release really quickly. Uh, oh yeah, the, uh, the, I believe you're talking about Godzilla: Final Wars. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, like I mentioned the 98 movie earlier, uh, which, uh, like, I'm not going to dive too deep into that, but, uh, there are things I like about that movie, but the movie was kind of spiteful, if anything, because, like, uh, Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich were all like, oh, yeah, we don't want our, uh, uh, like, and if anything, they were kind of borderline racist at some point, because it's like, they're like, oh, yeah, the Japanese, they don't know how to do stop motion animation. It's like, no, uh. Superaya knew how to do stop motion animation. He just didn't have the time or budget for it. <laughs> no, I, honestly, I feel like that movie was kind of like, whereas artists will put up like a love letter to things they love, that was kind of like a hate letter to things they just yeah. did not like. And they, they, they shed on Ebert. Uh, they like yeah, Mayor that was Ebert. stupid. Yeah, they, they, they're mocking Mayor Ebert throughout the entire movie. They're yeah. just, it's just, it's, it's a weird movie. E even to kind of paraphrase what Ebert said, why not just have the monster eat us or something? <laughs> it's, but like, uh, also like Godzilla is kind of impervious to all our versions of like weaponry and whatnot. But it spends half yeah. the movie in that '98 version running away from like missiles and stuff. It's like. You can take that. Come on. Yeah, there is some merit to that because it's like, um, like yeah, like Godzilla's been impervious, and I think he, I think it was Shusuke Kaneko who um, uh, some people might know. He directed the li uh, a live action Death Note movie, I believe. Uh, but he wait, was, wait, wait. Are we talking about the Japanese one? Japanese. Theaters? I actually saw that in Japan the first time I went. <laughs> nice, dude. Uh, I will say that. My my experience when I went and saw it in theaters was really fucking awkward <laughs> because I went there uh, in 06 uh, with a group of like people from my school and we're in the theater uh, buying our tickets and there's obviously that like cultural barrier there where you're trying oh, yeah. to like get we're like oh hey because we saw the flyer for the Death Note movie and I'm like oh it's fucking amazing I got to see that while I'm in Japan. And the lady at the counter, she has like this piece of paper and I pay the money and we get our tickets and she keeps motioning and like saying something, but none of us speak Japanese. <laughs> and we're like, we're, we're not getting what she's doing. Cause she's pointing this piece of paper and then she's pointing to another spot. And eventually it clicks 
we're in one portion of the movie theater. The other portion is across the street where they're showing oh. the movie that we're going to see. And we're <laughs> like, okay, we get it. We're, we're dumb Americans <laughs> not understanding any of this. Stupid guy gene. Uh, I know, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, like he, uh, that's, that's awesome. Uh, but yeah, like uh, Shisuke Kaneko, I believe, said uh, something along the lines of like, Americans have a hard time believing something can't be destroyed by their military weapons <laughs> or something like that. Um, but yeah, like uh, with the 98 Godzilla, it's like there is some, there is some merit to that. It's just, it's just kind of a shame because it was all out of spite, not out, not out of like, oh, hey, let's try something new because we love the character like let's try something new just because we want to give the big, biggest middle finger to the original series and stuff like that uh like godzilla outrunning military weapons that's kind of a cool idea it's just and the trick is you just gotta hit the damn thing and you can't until they trap him which you know I, yeah i i don't know it's just such a weird movie because it's it, like it wants to portray the monster as intelligent because like, especially like the submarine battle, like, you know, it's like, you know, it's dodging the, the torpedoes. It's luring them back to the submarine. And it even just kind of guts the torpedo or the, the submarine open with its spines. And I thought, Hey, that's really cool. He's actually using his extremities as a weapon. He's using his spines as a weapon, like, you know, arguably his most iconic design feature and um but then it just kind of chalks up to the american critique of just like oh it's a big monster it's just clumsy so did it really mean to do that did it did it know that the torpedoes were following it it's just like it's just a matter of like you know clumsy versus clumsy or something like that like you know um it's like yeah it's just such a weird movie in that regard because it's like because like I said, they just did not really care. They, they were just like, yeah, we just want the paycheck. <laughs> what do you think is the best American adaptation that we've got? Like, uh, I know the 98 one is kind of universally kind of shat on, but uh, do you like these uh, newer releases, like the Brian Cranston one and the subsequent one uh, with Millie Bobby Brown? Um, the, uh, that is actually kind of a mixed bag. Like 2014 at least showed like, you know, we like, like you know it, it like here's people who get godzilla and then uh the movie it's like you know a lot of people were just like oh godzilla's barely on screen it's like yeah just like every other godzilla movie <laughs> um but it's like he um it, it was an okay movie it was serviceable um godzilla king of the monsters is one of those movies it, it's the best way to describe godzilla king of the monsters is at least from my perspective is it's a movie that was made by people who only watch the Godzilla movie for the Godzilla scenes. Cause it's like, cause like I try to watch the movie and it's like, there are times the characters are not terrible, but there is just some underlying subtext of just like, okay, let's just get the characters to say something, move on to the next monster scene, move on to the next monster scene, move on, move on. And, um, yeah. And then the movie just kind of throws the whole nuclear allegory under the bus so I'd say, so I'd say, yeah, like they try to say like radiation heals the environment. No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah. Um, and people keep saying like, well, radiation's natural. It's like, yeah, it is. But, but 
I don't recommend drinking nightshade. You know, it's it's natural, but poisonous. You know, I wouldn't do it. But, but yeah, it's it's just kind of this whole, and it's not even like pseudoscience, really. It's just like, like actually understand what Godzilla stands for, like or like. And spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen it, which you know it's been out for a year. You should have seen it by now, <laughs> right? Um. There's the scene where Dr. Serizawa, played by Ken Watanabe, he sacrifices himself to resurrect Godzilla, who's like he's had the wind knocked out of him. He needs a nuclear recharge because he's a he's a creature that somehow metabolizes radiation. Cool idea. Um, and then it's like, but they revive him by setting off a nuke. Like, yeah, you send the Japanese guy in there or the Japanese guy goes in there to set off the nuke, which there is something poetic there. There is something that could have some dramatic weight to that, but it's just kind of haphazardly handled where it's just like, you know, you got to have some dramatic weight to it. Like what's the drawback of using a nuke to revive Godzilla? Like, like uh, the drawback was like, Oh, someone had to sacrifice himself to do it. And it's like, yeah, so <laughs> it's like you get um, because like Godzilla versus King Ghidorah in 1991 did that, where th- like that movie's kind of a mess, but it's fun to watch. <laughs> um, Godzilla is sort of quote unquote erased from time, and now they need to go back and resurrect him. They need to actually turn him into Godzilla, and. Um, what do they do? They send in a nuclear sub because King Ghidorah is just running around under the control of uh, the Futurians there. <laughs> and, uh, but the drawback was it's a really bad idea to do this because one, it's a nuclear bomb <laughs> or like nuclear radiation, you know, fallout, contamination, stuff like that. Godzilla's not the good guy in that movie. And he was, and by the time he was already turned into Godzilla, so they really just kind of played a very, very dangerous game of there was an old lady who swallowed a fly. <laughs> and um, it's just, and yeah, like uh, King of the Monsters just did not have that dramatic weight to it. It's like, you gotta have some kind of, you gotta have some kind of drawback to doing something like that. Like, because uh, again, this whole, like, the whole concept of the character was this is the horrors Japan experienced with Hiroshima and Nagasaki. That's what Godzilla represents. And to have, and to kind of go against that by saying like, Oh yeah, radiation heals the environment or um, like, Oh yeah, let's just go all willy nilly and just throw a nuke at these monsters just to get them back on their feet. It's like, yeah, you got to have some kind of, you got to have that uh, downside. I it just it's it, for me it's kind of reminiscent, um, and I'm gonna butcher the analogy here, so prepare. Um, I know that there were uh, Japanese workers that were affected by the initial like uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki uh, that had the radiation uh, deformities and whatnot that came from that. Uh, I, I've heard stories about how when it came to cleaning up that area, a bunch of the older people that were, had been previously affected by that volunteered for this to prevent younger people from having to deal oh, with yeah. it. Um, I kind of, 
I kind of equated to that kind of sacrifice where it's mm. that kind of knowing sacrifice, uh, knowing that you're kind of giving yourself up for the greater good. Um, and I don't think a lot of the more recent ones have kind of had that weight to any of these kind of sacrifices. Like, yeah, the yeah. Brian Cranston one kind of, sort but of, it didn't yeah. really have that weight to it. Yeah. And at least, but at least that movie kind of established the idea that, you know, nuclear weapons are not the solution to like, uh, like, oh yeah, we're going to use this nuclear bomb to destroy these monsters that feed on radiation. And it's like, yeah, it's sure. like, like at, le at least the movie tried to paint nuclear weapons in a bad light. Like, Which is what the original did. The original was like this, you know, big allegory for, you yeah. know, anti-nuclear war you know, the horrors of it. And that's kind of been lost uh, a bit through some of these uh, sort of, subsequent yeah. ones. Yeah, and and at least with, like, some of the older movies, it's like, um, like, one thing to also consider is, is that they're not so much anti-nuclear, like you mentioned, they're an anti-nuclear war. Like, you know, using, like, because they're definitely not anti-science. That's the big thing about a Godzilla movie is, like, um, there are times they use some weapons where you think like, well, they are nuclear or, or like they do have atomic energy or something like that. But if anything, they are saying, hey, there's a difference between using a weapon to destroy and using a weapon in the sense of the greater good. It's like, you know, we have to, like, we know the drawbacks, like we kind of, like you could argue that maybe they've worked around it. Like, you know, like, uh, for example, their Maser tanks, which is like the big giant tank with a satellite dish on it, and it shoots out a bolt of lightning. Um, it's like it kind of gives you that idea of like, you know, we built this weapon specifically to combat monsters. We don't use this on people. Like, we would never use this on humanity. We would use this to fight the enemies at our doorstep. Uh, right. And it's like, you know, they... Cause, or even like, or hell, look at Japan now. It's like they have, they have uh, nuclear power plants. So it's like they're not some, but again, like they're not nuclear, anti-nuclear energy. It's more like they're just, don't use it for bad stuff. Don't use it for ill intentions. <laughs> Drugs are bad, okay? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And that's, and in a way it's like, if you're going to have like, okay, yeah, here's a nuke, you know, a warhead, a, you know, the name implies warhead, <laughs> you know, you got to have the implication that it's like, yeah, we know what we're doing here. We're using like, you know, we're using a device meant for war for the greater good, but it's like, I don't know. It's just like the movie just kind of didn't take the time to stew on it for just a little bit and just say like, yeah, like, you got to know what we're handling. Like, like we got to know what we're handling here. Kind of thing. So um, I know that you obviously, I mean, 30 minutes in, you obviously have a love for Godzilla. Are there any other kind of fandoms uh, or series that, uh, that inspire you for your artwork? Um, well, obviously I mentioned Ultraman and, uh, and by extension, you know, like Super Sentai, Power Rangers. It's like, I mean, I'm not, into them like I usually uh, like I normally would because I'm more into the giant monster aspect not uh, but uh, not so much the giant hero but you know or, or the heroes in this case but it's like but Ultraman I've been really getting into Ultraman just because uh, it's like okay yeah like we've got a 
because like we still have some monsters that are like Godzilla, um, and it's it, it, and yeah, it's like it's kind of a. a mm, Eh, I lost my train of thought with that. It's a, but yeah, like I've just been recently getting into Ultraman because of the Mill Creek DVDs that they or Blu-rays that they've been releasing, and those are really good, by the way. Um, Ultra Q, I definitely recommend if like if you like anything like Twilight Zone uh, oh, or Outer uh, Limits, you would love Ultra Q. Yeah, Ultra Q is actually really good. It's um, uh, like it's classic black and white and. Um, uh, it's, it's very it, it, like some of it can range from it, it's it, it's a really cool idea because it, it it's um, kind it's of almost an inspiration for like the X Files in a way because like you've got these characters who are just kind of run into these strange happenings and stuff like that and um, you you say it's similar to Twilight Zone uh, when I when I think of that I think Twilight Zone I think Tales from the Crypt I'm thinking uh, episode. Uh, like an anthology type series yeah yeah it's, it's definitely an anthology and i i think of ser- uh episodes that have like a big kind of uh twist kind of gut punch at the end that yeah like uh it, it kind of does that here and there like you know sometimes it could be just a straightforward giant monster story some of it could be comedic some of it could be dramatic so it's like you know like any good science fiction it's all about, like you know it's telling a certain it's very articulate in what it can be but it always has some kind of underlying meaning to it or it has some big twist at the end like uh, one of my favorite episodes is the is the uh i think it's episode three the gift from mars or, or the gift from outer space but i guess it works either way um the monster namagon it's a giant slug the uh, how it's de- uh, you know big spoiler here but how the monster is defeated it falls into the ocean and the salt water kills it. Um, so um, after, and then a second one appears and the episode just kind of ends like, uh, thankfully we have salt water. Thankfully there's plenty of salt water on our earth. So let's just uh, be thankful for what we have kind of thing. And then it just kind of just abruptly like, huh, maybe we should not be taking little things like that for granted. Because uh, if it hasn't been implied, a lot of kaiju material is very environmentalist. Like, you mentioned like getting greater uh, meaning out of these like old timey like anthology series. One of the ones that had the biggest effect on me that I just I absolutely love. I, I love the original Twilight Zone. Oh yeah. And my favorite episode for it that the one that I kind of constantly go back to. Uh, there's an episode it's like I think it's the very first one in the series it's called Walking Distance and it's about like a man who uh, is on a trip and his car breaks down and he ends up right outside his old uh, hometown and he decides to kind of like walk in and uh, you know just reminisce and it turns out that he's walking into a version of his hometown that is the same year as his childhood so it's like it's exactly like it was when he was eight years old and yeah. he he's just so blown into this kind of like a nostalgia for it and he uh ends up bumping into like his old eight-year-old self and like causes his eight-year-old, eight-year-old self to break his arm which happened when he was a kid and Oof. he bumps into his dad who who recognizes him as his son eventually like after talking to him and he's like this isn't your time you're not supposed to be here you need to move on 
and yeah, it's, that's... it's it's like this big kind of feeling of like yes, the past is this great thing, but don't dwell on it. Live your life and go forward from it. And it's that one of those it, ones that like it really hits home for me. Yeah, that that that's a really good uh, that kind of hits home for me and I haven't even seen that episode <laughs> but yeah like that uh that's essentially kind of the that surreal nature of just kind of that one thing where it's just like it kind of catches you and you're like hmm yeah like it kind of gets you thinking it's like that's kind of what Ultra Q does in some cases um where it's just like uh, kind of like the episode that I described where it's just one of those where it just kind of makes you stop and think um oh god this one this one i just remembered um i i, I found it on youtube but it's called a neo ultra q where it's kind of a remake continuation um it's a uh, this this is such a good episode it had some very heartwarming moments uh but there's this monster called brethren he's like a human-sized monster and and like I said, Ultra Q could range from somewhat comedic to dramatic, and this one kind of encompasses it all. Um, the monster is called Brethren, and he kind of looks like a monster with dryer lint for scales and everything, because yeah. he's a dry he's a dry cleaner. That's his profession. He's a dry cleaner. <laughs> and um, did he originate as human, or is it he's uh, always no, a monster? It, yeah, it's, it's just a monster that shows up and people are like, oh, cool, it's Brethren. Hey, how you doing? Like, people wave to him on the street. He waves back and everything. So it's like, yeah, he's a, he's a, a member of society because, you know, he's not doing anything wrong. He's, he's just doing an honest work uh, as a dry cleaner. And uh, uh, there's this old grouchy man that comes in, uh, like his wife had recently passed away and, like, this was his favorite shirt or something that she liked. Him, or, like, this was her favorite shirt to see him in or something like that. And um, he asked to get it clean. He's like, are you really as good as you say you are? And uh, brother's just like, gurgle, gurgle, groan, <laughs> grumble. Like he can't speak English, but he kind of implies that he's speaking language and everything. And uh, he cleans it up. Some boys accidentally spill some like juice or something on it. The guy gets really mad at him, but then he, but then the monster, you know, he, he's so nice. The monster is so nice. He just comes by his house, cleans it up. Like he basically just, kind of like you know how godzilla uses his atomic breath he has like a soap sud breath and he's just like and he and he cleans it up and then the old man is just like well thank you you are a good monster and everything and then the episode ends whenever some politicians come in or some some scientists and politicians come in and say brethren can you please cleanse the earth like like clean up the earth because it's like you know each because in a way it's like each of these tasks gets bigger and bigger and they're like, you're, like we need the earth to be clean. And the episode, it, it's just one of those where it just makes you think like, like this was kind of my reaction whenever I saw it. He, it, he basically, it's just like he's charging up, charging up, charging up. And then it cuts to a shot of the earth. And then it's just like, bleep, it's just covered in soap. And then the episode just ends. And this was my reaction to it because of how abruptly it ends. It's just like, that was it <laughs> and it's just that implication of cleaning the earth and it's just like uh, like what do you do <laughs> it's just uh, it kind of reminds me of the old time like science fiction trope of computers misinterpreting rules mm. uh like you know oh we need to clean humanity well the only way to like fix humanity is to end it 
Yeah. <laughs> um, which, I mean, uh, this is topical, but uh, a lot of people keep saying, uh, and like this kind of ties in with Godzilla King of the Monsters as well, because that was one of the elements of it is ecofascism of like, like, uh, like a lot of people are like, you know, with the coronavirus and everything, everything being, everything seemingly kind of clearing up, like, you know, the, like ocean way, like beaches have turtles coming back and laying their eggs in peace because there's no one there to bother them. Um, there's uh, the canals in Venice are kind of clearing up to where you could like, and then everyone's just like, oh, humans might have been uh, like, maybe humans are the virus. Maybe the coronavirus is the friends we made along the way. Um, like some of that hippy dippy bullshit of like, you know, are we the virus? It's like, no, we are not the virus. We are not a mistake. Like, I want to make that clear. Humans are not a mistake, but we have made mistakes. I just, I, I love the thought that we have this kind of delusion that, you know, we will always be here and we won't. No. Humanity will eventually get wiped out and the planet will move on. It will be fine without oh, yeah. us. Earth, Earth does not need humanity. Like it is clearly shown that you know, we built these things, we've done these things, we've done a lot of damage to the planet. Yeah. It will survive. It will move oh, on. Yeah. It will forget us. Yeah, it will adapt in some way, with or without us. Uh, because yeah, like that's the big takeaway of any kind of man versus nature kind of movie, is that eventually you realize man and nature are not separate we are a part of nature so it's just, uh, so it's like you know like you said it's like you know nature will or the earth will move on without us it will move on with creatures that are alive now that won't be alive in centuries from now hell just look at dinosaurs it's like they were the dominant species for millions of years and then an asteroid comes along and just completely throws a wrench into things it's like you know something could come along and i won't say the coronavirus will do that but no <laughs> no I, I, don't, but, I don't know if you've seen this but it's one of my favorite old george carlin bits oh god uh, i love george carlin uh, he's got this old bit where he's like hey you know uh maybe the earth created us for a reason maybe that reason is creating plastic the earth can't create plastic on its own maybe it wants <laughs> us and once it gets enough of us we'll just move away and the earth will have its plastic and it'll move on you know <laughs> God, I love George Carlin. Uh, I, I love his bit. He's got uh, an old-timey bit about uh, how he feels like when he dies, his soul is going to be like a Frisbee tossed on his neighbor's roof. <laughs> that is such him. And when I get old, I won't have to worry about dying. I'll pass away or I'll expire like a magazine coupon. <laughs> um, oh, I, Speaking of George Carlin, you mentioned like what other fandoms I'm into. I'm just going to say it. I love Thomas the Tank Engine, unironically. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. It's really topical. Uh, I was uh, sitting with my fiance uh, last night, and we were listening to music mashups, like, you know, different songs put together. And Sweet Jesus is so many of them mashed up with Thomas the Tank Engine's theme song. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, like I know Thomas has kind of been become a meme in recent years, but uh, like my my personal favorite is that one where it's the picture of Thomas making the angry face. And the only reason I find it as funny as it is is because one, 
I loved the show as a kid. And two, it's really funny if you read it in Ringo Starr's voice. Thomas had never seen such bullshit before. <laughs> it's just, to me, that just tickles me pink just because, like, I love it whenever you see, like, a, a innocent kid's story mashed up with some swear words like that. I love, uh, I love the blurring of, like, something that is really uh, dark and scary mixed up with something super innocent. Um, that's yeah. why, like, I love it when the modding community takes a video game and they just kind of have at it. Um, yeah, like, I think I saw like the, there was a mod of like the Resident Evil Two remake. It's like whenever yes. the, I think it's the, like I'm not familiar with it. Like it's whenever the tyrant first appears and he just one handed just throws this debris out of his way and like someone actually did that with Thomas and it's just and then as soon as it, he appears it plays the Thomas theme. So there is that's Mr. X. He is a tyrant, and there's a mechanic in the game wherever you are, you can hear his kind of footsteps and you can kind of gauge where he is to you like the distance from you based on how loud it is and the sound it's making uh if you have that mod on you can hear the thomas the tank engine uh engine theme song kind of like start queuing up <laughs> and you can hear how loud it is based on how far it is <laughs> like if you're just kind of like hiding in a room you're, dun, 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 you're like, oh shit <laughs> yeah i love that there's <laughs> one they did of uh uh, Skyrim, where they replaced all the dragons with Thomas the Tank Engine. Oh, God. And they just replay the <laughs> intro where you're like about to face your execution, and the big tank engine just lands on this castle and goes, and spews oh, fire. It's, it's, yeah. it's great. I love the internet. I love it. Uh, but yeah, like uh, I, just, I grew up watching like you know Thomas the Tank Engine, Shining Time Station. I was really uh, like, it's weird because I was really into trains as a kid. I, no, I still am. There's just like I've tried to shake it, can't. Uh, I, like every time I see news about like oh they restored this old steam engine and it's like just seeing it in action, it's just such a. There's something about it that's just so beautiful to me, and it's just, um, so. It, uh, it's 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 kind of funny because uh, the uh, some of the names that they would come up with some of these old engines. It's like um, Union Pacific themselves did this a couple of. Uh, I want to say it was yeah that, that was only last year they just got that thing running. I think it was um, their old big boy locomotive. That was the name of it, big boy, <laughs> and it and it kind of has like a very mecha sentai-esque origin story because whenever they built it it was it obviously operated out west like you know in utah wyoming uh, nebraska just you know generally the western united states and they were going to call it the wasatch type after the wasatch mountain range and they were like eh, eh, eh. big boy then, yeah and then uh and that's pretty much what happened a, a, a machinist at the shop in schenectady new york where they were built just went up to it, wrote on the front of the smoke box, big boy. And then Union Pacific was just like, well, yeah, why not? And then that's what they officially, that's what they wrote down on the paper was like, yeah, this is the big boy locomotive. Uh, and, and in a way it is kind of funny too, because you look at it and it like, obviously, you know, you see the Thomas characters with their different facial expressions. This one kind of does have a face on it. It's It's got a handrail across the front and it kind of gives it a very stoic, very neutral face. Yeah, you just look at it and it's just like, huh, it's befitting of what's called the, it's arguably the largest steam locomotive in the world. And seeing it person, I'll take their word for it. Um, 
it, but they, but it just kind of has a very mm, Optimus Prime-ish look to it. Where it's just a very stoic. Hmm, I'm a big engine. It's just it's a very neutral expression. I'm not really uh, typically in awe of like trains. I, I don't have that kind of fascination that you do. But I remember riding the bullet train and just being like, "Holy crap! This is this is kind of beautiful in a way." Oh God, yeah, it's yeah, it's and even that, it's like you know, I'm more like obviously I lean more towards you know nostalgia with steam locomotives and everything. Right. But yeah, like the Shinkansen the, or the bullet train, it's like such a gorgeous piece of technology. Like I saw a documentary on that. And it's and it's more than just a train that moves fast, like. The design elements like they modeled like the like uh, like they had to model it after birds or something like the the, the bullet no like some of them the bullet nose was modeled after the kingfisher or some kind of kingfisher bird um it moves silently too like it doesn't create it's a lot of windows so crazy like yeah. it's 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 like even as it approaches the station standing in line waiting for it to arrive if you are not paying attention, it might, it could arrive and you not know. Yeah. It's, it, it's just crazy how well, how tight the design is on it. And, and even like whenever it rounds a curve, it's got like hydraulics that actually keep it balanced and everything. So it doesn't just fly off the track and to keep the passengers from getting thrown around. It's, it's such a, uh, like it's such a very high tech piece of equipment. That's makes you wonder why we don't adopt it yet. It's, <laughs> I don't know. Because <laughs> it's efficient and we don't do things efficiently. True. <laughs> so uh, I, I got to ask, um, you've mentioned how you do a lot of uh, conventions and whatnot. How are you adapting to life uh, in this Corona apocalypse that we're in? Help. Help. <laughs> no, um, uh, it's, it's so weird because it's like sometimes I've, I've had like the uh, the bad convention here and there, uh, well, two in particular, but which were both in Memphis. Uh, <laughs> um, shots fired. Yeah, <laughs> shots fired. I'm I'm <laughs> make it rain. I say, <laughs> uh, like I'm not like no. Memphis is nice, but it's just you got to make it worth my time, guys. <laughs> um, the uh, but it's, and I've said like you know I'm not going back there. But it's like you know these are conventions that are. I mean I, I guess I've kind of accepted it. It's like it's kind of cathartic because I'm just sitting there like, well, what am I going to do about it? <laughs> it's like it's canceled. You know, there's nothing no one can do about it. Right. Um, so it's like I've just kind of accepted that, and then um, I mean, yeah, obviously it hurts because it's like I wanted to see some people that I know there. Uh, it's like, you know, you know, putting like putting aside like, you know, the income thing. It's always it's just a big matter of I like seeing people <laughs> sometimes. It's like I'm I'm extremely introverted and sometimes I'll be like, I hate people. But no, I enjoy interacting with people. like what I'm doing right now. I love doing that once in a while. I love talking about stuff. It's just, you know who's just willing to open who's just willing to not plug their ears up and actually sit and listen to me ramble. Um, I, I feel you. That's kind of why I started this in the first place. Um, I am a new comedian in the St. Louis area and 
I have had a couple, I've had some really good experiences so far, but I love reaching out to other comedians. I love reaching out to other artists and I like hearing their stories, especially in a time like this where we're all so isolated, getting a chance to just kind of briefly connect with someone who maybe, you know, halfway across, you know, the country, uh, but just see how other people are responding. Yeah. And especially like with me with art, it's like, you know, uh, I'm just, I find myself very terrible with words. Like I was, I'm, I've always been a shy person. You've been really great so far. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Just give it a few more minutes. Um, (laughs) But with, uh, with art, I feel like I've been able to communicate in some way because it is a form of communication in some way. Like if you want to get philosophical with it, um, but it's like, it's been one way I've been able to communicate and just like see, like see, seeing the reactions that some people would have to seeing this artwork. Cause like there are times, like the first time I actually went to a convention besides G Fest was in 2015. And I could not tell you how many people, like I could see it in their eyes. Cause there's usually always that person that tries to be nice. Like, Oh, I don't have any money which really translates to, I don't really care about your artwork enough to buy it, <laughs> but uh, sometimes, but it's like, but then there are times where people, you could just see it in their eyes where they're just like, why did I not bring enough money? And I had that, that entire weekend at Arkansas Anime Festival in 2015. I mean, I, I made good with it and everything, but it's just like, there were so many people who were just completely caught off guard that there was someone who did Godzilla art there and I, th- and I think, especially, be- I will say that much because of the newer movies and everything, Godzilla is kind of becoming a bit more less stigmatized. Because whenever I was growing up, people always said like, oh, you like those cheesy movies with the, and then that's whatever, I'm, with the guy in the rubber suit. And I'm like, Jabba the Hutt was a guy in a rubber suit. It was three guys in a rubber suit. <laughs> so. See, uh, I, I don't, I don't want to, you know, uh, disclose too much here but that that's part of the reason why i really wanted to interview you for today uh you had mentioned a while back how this uh this epi- this pandemic has kind of affected you negatively because you had all these conventions planned and uh, you know with those canceled like what, what are you gonna do how are you gonna get yourself out there and i'm like well i don't have a lot of, mo- a lot of money necessarily but i love to have people you know hear you and hear your your love for the your passion <laughs> for this art and you know maybe share some of it and get some buzz that way because sweet jesus i've seen some of your art it's it's i'm not blowing smoke up your ass it's really nice uh and i'd love to promote it if i can yeah, uh, yeah uh, and, and i definitely thank you for having me on here because it's like you know any way that can you know this is the one time i will actually accept the exposure as payment <laughs> um but like, um, I've got two stores out there online uh, right now. I mean, I have a bunch of galleries online, which I'll mention here in a sec. But uh, uh, right now, the T public has been very, very good to me because um, it's one way I've actually been able to. I'm actually wearing one of my shirts right now. Um, this is uh, Spidor from Beast Wars. <laughs> ah, um, I used to wake up every morning have, before school and watch Beast Wars. Just I was always late to school. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, like I've actually got the toy of him right there. <laughs> um, he's a froggo. 
Uh, but yeah, like I'm actually, I, I actually like Tee Public shirts enough that this one is actually really comfortable. And I'm, and I'm not saying that to, to suck up and say like buy my shit and everything. It's like no, it's, it's a legitimately comfy shirt. I wouldn't be wearing if I, I, I even have this motto: I will not sell it if I would not buy it myself. Like if I get a print made and it's just got like a big splotch across it, I would just be like, oh god, no, I'm not selling this. Um, I, I kind of, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't want to like you know blow smoke up your ass or agree with you just just to agree with you, but I had a I had a previous podcast before this. Uh, we did a bad movie podcast called At Least He Tried, and I, I got approached on a couple occasions uh, about doing a sponsorship, like oh hey do uh, promote this product before your show, and it's like I wouldn't buy that product myself. I'm not gonna use it as you know a couple extra bucks to promote it. Like, yeah and, and the, oh and dude it gets really fucking shady like uh if somebody approaches you they're like hey we'll pay you like 50 dollars an episode to do this if you read this script about how much you love our product and it's like but i don't yeah it's, a, it's just yeah it's a yeah, and th- and that's another thing too. Like you know, like talking about like the stigmas attached. To, uh, like I mentioned, the stigmas attached to Godzilla. Well, stigmas attached to art. Like you know, what's the difference between a sellout and someone who's actually just trying to make a living? As far as an artist, selling out is going against your standards. Like, like oh, I like for me, I don't draw pornography. It's it's not. I mean, I don't hate it. <laughs> like just a. Uh, just to get that out there it's like i don't hate the idea of pornography it's just that's not what i do and i'm not going to compromise my standards by saying like hey guys i'm opening up rule 34 commissions you know have at it but it's like so one of my favorite artists uh online one of my favorite i used to like in high school i used to love this online comic uh called vg cats i would spoof a different video oh yeah 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 yeah. VG Cats, yeah, they'd spoof every, a, a different like video game every week, and I used to look forward to it so much. And in recent years, I guess they've kind of fallen into that trend where oh yeah, 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 they they stopped doing video games and they started just doing pornography. Yeah, uh, I heard about that. Like, I was I was like, why is he not updating? And then I found out like, oh, he's doing th- he's doing pornography stuff, and I'm like, because that's like, where the money is. Yeah. He wasn't making money, you know, on his video game spoofs. It was about the pornography, I mean, and I'm just like, whatever. Yeah, and it's like, and yeah, it's like, I, I, like I said, I'm not against it. It's and you know, if that's what you want to do, then that's what you want to do. But it's like, um, I just, I'm just not gonna. My honestly, the reason I don't want to do it is because I don't want my because like you know, you, uh, you opened up with like oh, you have such incredible Godzilla art and everything. It's like, I kind of want to be known as the guy, as a guy who draws monsters and stuff like that. I don't want to be someone who's just like, oh, here's another guy who just draws tits and ass. It's like, you know, I don't want to do that. (laughs) I don't want to be known for that. You could, but that just kind of takes away from your art. Like, you don't want to dirty your your portfolio just for the sake of making a buck. And I really respect that. And I guess it should, and I guess I should mention it because I actually mentioned this uh, whenever I did a live stream with a friend of mine, uh, who's another incredible artist. They, uh, like, especially with body positivity and everything, uh, 
like that's that's something I definitely try to advocate usually in my spare time is just like hey body positivity you know we're not per- we're all different we're all not perfect but um like like drawing nude art and everything like there's a difference between nude and sexual like the, like just because it's nude art does not make it sexual like um like you could say or like whenever I uh took a class in college I think this was around 2011 2012 I the class drew nude like it was the first time I had ever drawn a nude model before like we actually had a person come in both a man and a woman on separate occasions come in and pose nude for us there was honestly something so fascinating about that like like just the idea of my hand moving across the paper and just kind of having to replicate this person's shape and it's and yeah, it's like no human being is like as smooth as a Barbie doll. It's like, you know, that every, I can't even say flaw, just every single crease and crevice in their skin and everything. It's just like, there's something fascinating about that, but it's not sexual. See, it's, and I, uh, I got to experience something similar to that. Uh, a band that I came across uh, a couple years back, uh, this band called the Red Paintings, uh, which first off, if you haven't heard them, definitely check him out. The lead singer had a seizure a while back and has synesthesia. So his sense of muse, uh, sound and vision is blurred, which okay. leads to some really interesting sounds. But one of the things that I love about them is during their show, they have local artists come up and paint or like do sketches. And occasionally they will come up and they will have uh, the painters paint nude models I mean, obviously they will, they will cover them up slightly so they can you know, meet standard rules, oh, yeah. but it's so interesting to have uh, that mixture of somebody painting like a nude model while music is being played in the background. It's just, it's like mesmerizing in a way. Yeah. And it's, it's not like, oh, hey, we're hiring like, you know, really attractive, you know, nude models where we're hiring fans of the show to come up and be part of it you know, regardless yeah. of what they look like, because humans are not models. We're, we're not all, you know, beautiful, like, you know, you know, and that's giant that, packs, you know? Yeah. And that's always something that, uh, and, and I definitely want to mention, it's like, you know, the, um, like the woman that came in, uh, like she was kind of on the heavier side, but you know, there's nothing wrong with that. If anything, that's actually a really good way to look at the human body is just because it's like there is something very artistic about the human body just there's, there's something about it that's just so fascinating to me um but again not in a sexual way no. and it's just and, and yeah like with the uh, uh and like like we both said it's like you know the human body is not perfect like you know not barbie doll or model perfect but it's like that's kind of the one like that's something that you know some people never really get taught when it comes to or like even like facial expressions it's like you know you always like the model always and i i get it it's like the model always has to have like a stoic face but because you know it's got to be relaxed and everything they can't hold a smile for 30 minutes right Uh, but yeah but like whenever you can actually draw a person but it's like it's it's just kind of weird that um uh, I don't know where I'm going with this. So my, my mind does that sometimes. Um, it's, it's too much dirty thoughts. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, uh, but yeah, it's with uh, drawing nude models and everything. I just uh, just to kind of break the stigma 
is like you know nudity is not sexual and it's um yeah i guess that's pretty much where i was going with it <laughs> it doesn't have to inherently be i mean it's it's everyone we all come into this life nude we all shower new we all experience nudity you know it it doesn't need to be necessarily a sexual thing yeah um and uh, awkward silence <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't need to be awkward no i'm just uh, kidding i'm just kidding uh, but yeah like, like i, I uh, but uh, like going back to the whole standards thing it's like yeah, and like you mentioned, like the whole sponsorship thing, that, that like that's another sellout thing. It's like you're endorsing a product you wouldn't normally endorse. I, I found out recently, and I'm, it's by that same channel I was talking about, Fact Fiend. They talk about different things, and he's got this ongoing uh, segment that he does about how not to do your business, uh, where you think people would learn, but he's made several videos where he just fully talks about different people that have come forward asking for promotions. Uh, and uh, one of the ones that you hear, I don't know if you watch a lot of YouTube, but there's a lot of uh, people that are get endorsed by this like uh, mobile game, Raid Shadow Legends. Yeah. I watch and, enough uh, Markiplier, I get all the freaking ads. <laughs> apparently Raid uh, gives them a straight script of what they need to say and offers them yeah. like 10,000 to like 27,000 for each plug and it's like, holy crap. Like, no one really fully endorses this. and Yeah, because I look at some of these ads and I'm like, there is no way anyone is that excited for this game. <laughs> oh, sweet, this mobile game looks amazing! No, no one cares. Yeah. That, it's like, there are some mobile games I've actually had to take off my phone just because they keep showing too many ads. Um, uh, like, there was one game that I really liked, it's called Wordscapes. Um, I love wordscapes, but yeah. it's a fun game. But after a while, one, it just started losing its challenge. It's like, give me eight letter words now. It's like, it just got to seven and then quit. And it's like, come on, give me eight letter words. I liked it because you could play it without having to be connected to Wi Fi. Yeah. It's one of the few games uh, that when I was on a plane, I could play it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I quit playing it. And like, there was another one, Word Stacks. It was made by the same people. And it's like, I just quit playing it just because. Like every time I beat a level, I'd have to sit through like 20 seconds of ads. And I'm just like, okay, I don't want to do this because I'm just breezing through these levels. I'm getting ads left and right. Just, and I'm not getting the challenge out of it. Um, yeah, like the, just, uh, and ads, it's, it, and that's another thing too. It's like whenever I see a movie, it, like I, I remember watching, I think it was the ID channel or something. Uh, investigation discovery uh you know who doesn't watch that um and they kept advertising this one movie and i swear to god i'm like they're at like i swear during one commercial break they played an ad for it twice and i'm like they really want people to know about this movie don't they movie came out and it bombed <laughs> it didn't do well and i'm just like yeah that's because you dumped all the money into the advertising and not into the movie itself see and that's and, i i love it when I kind of come across an artist that doesn't kind of sell out like that, um, whether it be like an artist like yourself or whether it be like a video game company that uh, really believes in their product. 
Um, one, of, one of the games that I, that I really love, uh, I don't know, you, you probably heard of it, uh, Cuphead. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, I, I love that they were given the option to release their game earlier than what they did, uh, but they did not want to put out an inferior product because, you know, they, they had oh, more to give. And I, I love it. I love hearing stories of people that don't buckle just to do something for the paycheck that yeah. they, they want to put out the best that they can. Yeah. And I, I love that. Yeah. That's it. And that is one thing I definitely love because it's like, you know, as someone who draws and likes cartoons a lot and, you know, there was a time I wanted to go into animation, but I discovered I don't have the patience for it. <laughs> um, but it's like with, um, but seeing like how well it was animated and everything. I think one of the big drawbacks is that it's a little too bullet hell ish. Cause it's like, cause like I want to see Cause a game like that, I want to just stop and relax every now and then and just admire what's going on. But it's just like, I've seen some of the let's like Markiplier, whenever he does a let's play of it. And I'm just like, yeah, what the hell is going on? Just hold down the shift key or whatever the shoot button is. It's uh, brutal. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a little too brutal for my taste. Uh, and again, I know people who are just f- perfectly fine with that, but not my, uh, dare I say, not my cup of head or tea, whatever. <laughs> um, well, uh, you did say you like comedians on the show. Hey, that, that, that's bread and butter right here. That's, that's, that's the normal guest. Yeah. So um, we'll go ahead and wrap up here though. Um, Ray, where can people find you on social media? Where are some of these shops that uh, people can uh, see some of your works? Um, uh, a lot of my galleries, like if you go, uh, pretty much if you find Almighty Zilla, and I don't know if my icon's showing up on the thing or not. It's but not. It's like if, okay. <laughs> I was going to say, if you see that icon, you you come to the right place. Um, uh, I'm on DeviantArt as Almighty Zilla. It's just all one big chunk of letters. <laughs> And then if you find that, you pretty much find everything. Uh, I'm Almighty Razilla on Instagram, Tumblr. Um, I mentioned Tee Public earlier. That's one of the places where you can buy some stuff. Um, and Store Envy is a um, the big store where you can actually buy a lot of my original artwork. I do have some prints and stuff on there. Ray, I don't mean to cut you off. Can you repeat that one more time? It kind of cut out. Oh, uh, Store Envy. Uh, you can actually buy some of my original artwork on there and you're buying from me directly like t public you're kind of buying from a middleman it's like i put the artwork up there you buy it from them with store envy you're buying it from me directly that's really cool yeah but like i said i try to link everything together so if you find one you find the other ones Uh, so yeah if you find almighty razilla it's there's a 90 percent chance it's probably me (laughs) Well, I'll go ahead and attach links to those uh, on this episode so people can, you know, have easier access to your stuff. But um, uh, I'd really like to thank you for coming on tonight. Uh, it's been a great conversation. Uh, probably one of my favorites. I, I do love talking obscure stuff. I love talking uh, monster movies, and this is this has been a great treat. Oh, thank you for having me on here. It's uh, it's always a great it, it's always a treat for someone to just be like, "Hey, Ray, say something about Godzilla," and then they don't tell me to stop talking. <laughs> Hey, I, I love my favorite thing in life. And I, I say this without trying to, you know, with no, no, uh, no ulterior motive. I love hearing people talk about stuff they're passionate about. 
Yes. And that's, that's one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on. Oh, well, thank you. Because I definitely advocate for it. Like, oh, I, I do want to mention, like I mentioned earlier, there was uh, like, you know, seeing people at conventions, um, someone had actually bought one of my pearly bead Mothras, one of my 3D Mothras. And uh, this, the mother was just completely like, oh God, will he not stop? I'm just like, hey, I was the same way. And I was just intently listening to this kid because this kid had so much drive in his system. He showed me some of his own drawings and I'm like, kid, stick with this because I expect to see you here behind the table in a couple of years because this, this kid was just so passionate. And, I, and like you said, I love hearing that. So I used to uh, work uh, for the school district uh, nearby uh, as a para for uh, kids with special needs. And I, I worked uh, for a brief amount of time. I can't really go into specifics, but I worked with a kid with Asperger's and he was very much into dinosaurs. Yeah, and that's it, Yeah, he knew more about dinosaurs than I than anyone I knew and more than I could ever find out. But this was his obsession. I and I I I loved having conversations with him about this because he would just light up uh about uh discussing that thing that he was so passionate about and I love having conversations about like something like that with people that love what they're talking about. Whatever it is. Like, I mean, I, I heard a phrase a while back that everyone that you run into every day, everyone that you bump into knows something that you don't. Yes. And I love finding out what that is. Yeah. And, and for me, it's like, whenever you see someone who's just being happy, don't take that away from them because especially nowadays, they're like the, the world is, a, is dark enough as it is don't make it any darker for them because when you see them on, whenever you see them really happy, let them be happy because the world, uh, they need the, that light in the world. <laughs> they need that moment of levity. Well, well said. Hmm. Well, Ray, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Uh, it has been a great interview and uh, you know, Hey, if you ever feel inclined to join us again, I'd be more than happy to have you on. I would love that. <laughs> thank you for having me. You have a great night, Ray. You too.